Hey, Prophecy Pals, it's your Prophecy Guy Jordan here, just with a little caveats and notices on the front end of this episode. So this is a different kind of episode than what we typically do. I'll explain it in the episode proper, but we have a new guest host, kind of with a fresh perspective, and we are going back over season one with some new eyes, with some fresh eyes. So I hope that's interesting for y'all. We will also be doing a different kind of episode, and we're going to be alternating between the two until Sam is finished with his graduate program and ready to dive back into recording. Also, just a heads up, I recorded this episode with my friend Denea, and we were in the same room because I'm COVID vaccinated, and she was kind of in my quarantine bubble anyway. So we were sharing a mic, and my audio just sounds a little better than hers, but I tried to make it as listenable as possible. You can definitely understand what she's saying, but it just wasn't an ideal situation, and I apologize for that on the front end. It doesn't meet our typical criteria for sound quality. But she had a lot of interesting things to say, including around the Joss Whedon allegations that Sam and I talked about a few weeks ago. We give that another look, so there's just a trigger warning because we'll be talking about the abuse allegations, and... It gets kind of heavy, but Danae had a kind of different perspective on it that I thought was important to represent in this larger conversation. And overall, I hope you guys get something out of this episode and that it reminds you of the fun kind of halcyon days of Prophecy Guys when we were talking about season one of Buffy. Oh, so innocent. Such a long time ago. So I hope you enjoy this and I hope you're well and I look forward to releasing more content soon. Hopefully the idea is to be releasing essentially two episodes a month. So with all that in mind, enjoy. Did I ever tell you about the burp supercut that wound up on a fetish website? What? What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what the fuck did you just say? So I burp a lot when we're recording and I always edit it out or almost always edit it out. And then at the end of season one, I had saved all my burps and made a supercut. That was like the cold open for the show. Uh-huh. And then... I was on SoundCloud and it tells you where people stream your podcast from, like sure. what websites your podcast is on that people are streaming it from. Oh no. And it one of them was a burp fetish website. Oh my god. It was god. like it was like it was like a chat room or not a chat room, like a, a forum. Forum. Yeah. Yeah. Like so it was a forum about burp fetishes and someone had linked this one. He's oh, like it linked linked the end of the season episode where we there was a super cut of me burping oh, and God. but the loudest burp by far was marley's that I said, <laughs> by far so are you and marley porn stars <laughs> is that what you're telling us i'm uncomfortable with the implications of that <laughs> just asking it's, it begs the question it begs right? the question sex work is work <laughs> Prophecy Guys, or The Gospel According to Buffy, where we look at Buffy the Vampire Slayer through the lenses of theology, philosophy, and artistry. I'm Jordan McGill. I'm Danae Darling. And we're the, the Prophecy, Prophecy Pals. Pals. That's It's corny, but I love it. Uh, corn is part of my brand. Well, I am a deeply corny person. Right, absolutely. So it's, it's part of it. On some level, you need to lack self-awareness if you're going to have a podcast. Exactly. So, Danae. 
How you doing? Oh, so Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> so we're off to such an amazing start. I think what's hard about this is I need to introduce you first. Yes. So I'll start by saying this is not a normal arrangement. We don't have Sam in the mix, unfortunately, because Sam, and we already mentioned this in our last couple episodes, Sam is working on his graduate thesis because he's in his last term of his graduate degree. Hell yeah. We love, we stand. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but it's funny because like I was really wanting to get back into the swing and doing this podcast and I texted him like last month and I'm like, hey man, I want to do Prophecy Guys again soon. And he's like, ask me in June. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, try not to take that personally. I've been in grad school. I know that's it's, a, it's it's a, a lot. lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, I haven't been in grad school, but I can imagine. I mean, I, d- I continue to do my uh, Prophecy Guys episodes through the end of my grad program, but uh, no shame, no shame. <laughs> uh, but we, we, no, I'm just saying. We miss Sam, and then we did get together to record, not in person, but we, we uh, recorded a response episode to the Joss Whedon allegations, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a moment. But that just sort of kind of relit the spark for me. We haven't been doing a lot of Prophecy Guys stuff through the pandemic, but, you know, as life is sort of getting a little bit more back to normal, like inch by inch, like slowly, like I just got my second vaccine, super grateful for it. It's going to afford me more opportunities to do this kind of stuff. And you, Danae, have been in kind of in my quarantine pod for the yeah. last few months. And I so I kept it bubble right we, we, we have we've all kept a very tight bubble although now i can't say that without thinking of the snl sketch where they all <laughs> thought they were doing so good and yeah. then like you know turns yeah. out they all well, got covid and so it occurred to me i could record content with some other folks uh granted i didn't want to cover any major upcoming episodes without sam because he especially like there's a lot of really great stuff in season three that and sam as one of our main hosts didn't want to miss out on it. So I was considering what other kinds of projects we might be able to do. And just a heads up, listeners, if you hear kind of uh, sounds in the background, it's a cat eating. <laughs> it's it's uh, Athena's chowing down. Yeah, she's she's on a diet. So when the when she gets fed, it's 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 chow time. Right. It's an event. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was thinking about what other kinds of content we could produce in the meantime. And I have amazing friends who like Buffy and one of them I'd never had on the show. And Denea, you've been in like OG Buffy fan probably as long as I have, if not longer. It's yeah, it's been, it's been, I don't know. It's been. (laughs) (laughs) I had, I listened to that podcast where you guys got stuck in that. So which one was that? Was that end of season one? Cause I haven't gotten to it. it Yeah, it it was around there. Maybe it was like passion or something, but I started, yeah, t- talk about your history yeah, with the show. Yeah, my history, it was, it's actually very, like, specific history. My childhood growing up, I was very conservative Christian. My parents very much no secular anything, mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, witches, demons, no way. Right, right. I mean, I, a lot of parents are like, no Pokemon, no Harry Potter, which is kind of silly. Again, but, that was me. I had no Right. Uh, yeah, I right, was there. Right. But Buffy makes a little bit more sense. Not yes. that like I think it's it's a Mo- demonic show, but it's more adult themes, I would say. We went so far as in the All Dogs Go to Heaven, that movie, my mother had scratched out, cut out the hell scene. Like the scene where the dogs go to hell. Okay. She like cut it out. On the VHS tape? On the VHS tape. She found it, cut it out, 
taped it back together so it jumps right through it. Did the story make sense? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> scene lifts right like, out. It's just like him getting scared and worried about hell. So and you, you see him starting to fall asleep and turn and then he wakes up and he's like, oh! <laughs> okay, so you can fill in the gaps. Yeah. It's just really? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, something bad. He had a bad dream. He had a bad dream. That's really funny. So it was up to that point. That's so. extreme. That's up there with, like, I had friends who couldn't watch Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Could you watch Scooby-Doo? I didn't watch Scooby-Doo, no. I watched VeggieTales. Right. Prince of Egypt. Okay. So uh, good content, yeah. but just <laughs> narrow. Narrow. I was like, and that's it. Um, and the little princess for some reason. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, re- I just remember I watched that movie a lot. Is that, I think that's, is that directed by Cuaron? Alfonso Cuaron? I think it is. The guy who did, like, Gravity and Prisoner of Azkaban. I think his first, like, English language feature was... Little Princess? I'll look at... I wouldn't bet the house, but <laughs> I think that's true. Do you know off the top of your head, Nicole? Little Princess? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our, our... Danae's roommate, Nicole, is in the background. So she may interject from time to time. Chime in. Say hi. Oh, hi! I've known Nicole longer than almost anyone in my life. Yeah. Besides your you longer immediate than family. Besides yeah. my immediate family. She's probably my oldest friend. I tutored her when I was in the fifth grade and she was in the fourth grade and she already knew everything and I'm like, why am I tutoring you? <laughs> Alfonso Corian, yeah. That's what's up. That's, um, that's what's up. Uh, yeah. Actually, let's be silent for another five seconds because it's picking up whatever this is. And then I can edit out for that. Um, we just, we honestly just need to count our blessings that our neighbors aren't blasting mariachi music. You pointed to both sides. Are there both sides? Well, okay, they no, no they they play some foreign language pop. Sure. And they play mariachi. Okay, it's like a little like Epcot. <laughs> <laughs> you just have different. You, you get, you're exposed to different cultures just all around yeah. you. Except for when it's like 11 o'clock at night on a, when we have to wake up at 7. So it's like trying to fall asleep in the middle of Epcot. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, so, I mean, and I'm sensitive to the sounds you have to deal with while recording in an apartment because I live right next to a train. And there are times when yeah. Sam and I just have to be like, okay, let's stop. And then wait like two minutes. Yeah. Uh, so. Okay. You I were was, saying, your history with yes, Buffy, you grew up in Buffy. a very conservative Christian household. Extremely conservative. And my parents split up when I was like eight. And eventually, a little bit later, my brothers had moved out and it was just me and my mom living alone together. And we always went to this very dated, we went to Hollywood Video. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The one that wasn't Blockbuster. <laughs> yeah, the other one. And there was a guy who worked there. His name was Nick. I don't remember his last name. And I tried asking my mom. She doesn't know his last name. But he gave us the best video recommendations of all time. Like, he introduced us to so many great movies. And eventually, he introduced us to Firefly. Oh, okay. That was your entry point. Yes. So, yeah, we watched Firefly. Absolutely loved it. Watched Serenity. Loved it. And we're just like, this is great content. And he's like, well, you like that. What about Buffy? And my mom was a little iffy at first because, like... Witchcraft. Witchcraft. But she's like, I'll give it a try. I trust you. I'll give it a try. I trust you, Nick. I trust you, Nick. I'm trusting you with the welfare of my child (laughs) and the the media input for our family. Yes, exactly. And so we watched, they only had the first four seasons at the the video store. Mm. And the first, or no, the last season of Angel. So. The first four seasons of Buffy and the the last last season season of of Angel. Angel. (laughs) Yes. 
So we it was really funny because we watched all of Buffy. We had the mishap with Who Are You? Right. You were just you were explaining off mic that there was a yeah. missing disc, and we, so you wound up hopping from Doomed to Who Are You from one point of season four to another point of season four that didn't make sense. Yeah. If, if for no spoilers, like if you know those episodes, there's a big episode between them that makes Who Are You make a lot more sense. Right. And without it, it's chaos. Right. <laughs> And so we were very confused, had to go back to the store that night and be like, we got the wrong disc. Um, and then we did try, after season four, going to season five of Angel, less sense. Oh, God. <laughs> I cannot imagine. It was so confusing. I, I guess this is a light spoiler for folks who haven't heard of Buffy before who are watching along with us. That's I don't think I don't think those people exist. You've mentioned Angel. Right, and we've mm-hmm. mentioned Angel the series before. There is a spinoff from Buffy... Angel the series, it lasted five seasons, so the last season of Angel takes place not just like four, five, like four years into Angel the series, but probably six or seven years later in the Buffyverse than season four of Buffy. Yeah. So yeah. just chaos. Just chaos. Absolute chaos. Um, but you're like, we need more we of this content. more of this content, so we're like, we'll do anything. And then it was like, we saw that, we're like, we cannot watch this. <laughs> this is this incomprehensible. Is nonsense. Absolute nonsense. So once we had seen that ser- that first episode of season five, Angel, we're like, we can't do this. So we bought, went out, bought the entire box set, mm-hmm. um, and like that's why I've color coded them to. I have a Buffy big list, and I have. Danea has a Buffy big list. I don't yeah. think we have a guest <laughs> who, besides me and Sam, made their own ranking of every episode of the series yes. color coded it graded every yes. episode yes. so that's the degree of fanaticism we're getting from Danea. That's, and this yeah. has been a part of your like media input since you were did you say eight I years was, old I eight know, or nine was, years old it was, well because it had to be a little bit later because i can't remember these i want to say maybe like 13 oh okay 13 14 okay. it'd be a little while after my it was when my brothers moved out and everything. okay so gotcha. it was a little bit after they were you know they're only uh five years older than me so. okay Gotcha. So, but you're like like tween years you started watching Buffy, which I imagine is a really healthy age, like a really developmentally appropriate age to start watching Buffy. I started watching it at like seven or eight, which was probably too early. (laughs) Well, it's one of those things where I definitely do remember being a very, like a small child and just being on regular network television, seeing a clip or so and Mm -hmm. being like, what is this? And then being like, change the channel. Right. Was there network television allowed in the home? No, there was, that's the thing, we have network, we had network television. You had cable. We had cable. Uh, We didn't have, like, any of the good channels. Oh, okay. Um, So, like, basic cable. Yeah, basic cable, Fox, PBS, or... Right, right, right. But would your parents, like, monitor what you were watching? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, well, I was like, what it would be is that I would be watching, like, Cyber Chase, or... Ah, Cyber Chase. Yeah, or, like, Zoom. Uh, I really wanted to be a Zoom kid. Come on and zoom. Come on, come on and zoom. But it would be like I'd be watching that and there'd maybe be a commercial for Buffy or something. Mm-hmm. Or like something like, yeah. things like that. Where it's like, so I've heard it, I saw it and always knew of its existence and kind of was curious about it, but. Because mm-hmm. I, yeah. But you are certainly an older and more devoted Buffy fan than most of our guests. And I am overdue for having you on the show. But I figured, <laughs> I figured with Sam out of rotation for a little bit. I wanted to ask you if there's time and sort of, you know, availability in your schedule Mm -hmm. to take on a bigger undertaking than what we've asked any of our individual episode hosts. 
And Marley, I'm also going to lean on for a little bit mm-hmm. during this time. So for the next few months, we're going to do two different kinds of episodes. And I guess we could potentially have Nicole on for the other kind of episode. Mm. Uh, but so you and me are going to be going back through the first couple seasons of Buffy, singling out moments that you have something to say about Mm -hmm. because you had been listening to our podcast and you would give me feedback when you saw me in person like here's what you should have said or here's what I was screaming at my phone while you were having the conversation on the podcast right right so I wanted to give you an opportunity to scream them into a microphone and not literally, please. The audio will be unusable. We'll see how uh, right, I might, get pretty passionate. Could happen, could happen. And the other kind will be me and Marley talking about other pop culture, but giving it the Prophecy Guys treatment, which we have done before, Marley and I. like we did, A good example of that was when we talked about Harriet the Spy. Did you listen to that episode? I started to, but you guys took... I was Forever like, to forever talk about... <laughs> we took like an hour... <laughs> To get to the stuff, <laughs> the the actual meat of the episode. It's like really good conversation, but it's like three hours. And that was an example of me. I at that point was like I had packed up all my stuff in New Jersey and had like a week left before graduation from seminary. But I wanted to release content. And we'd been on a dry spell for a couple months, and Sam wasn't available. So I'm like, you know what, Marley and I are going to get together and release an episode <laughs> just about something <laughs> like some media that we consumed as a child which happened to be written by a Buffy staff writer Mm -hmm. and so Marley and I will be doing just related or unrelated pop culture but giving it the Prophecy Guys treatment and you and I are going to be doing a take two for the first several seasons of Buffy that we've already covered so we'll have material coming out before Sam is ready to join back in and move forward with where we're at in season three Mm -hmm. which the episode we just released was season three episode seven revelations Mm -hmm. so you and I are going to go back through the first couple seasons up until that point and stop, just kind of pause on episodes that you have something to say about and give you an opportunity and a platform to have those conversations. And I will be sort of framing the conversation with reminding the audience what Sam and I talked about the first time around and then giving you the opportunity to speak to that or to say something entirely novel (laughs) about the episode with yeah, that's as much structure as we want to give these conversations, and I'm not sure really at all what it's going to look like. Um, but we'll find out. right, 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 right. It's kind of experimental, and I would have given it more prep time. But I find myself in a very busy time in my life right now. Did you get a chance to I, check in as much as you wanted to? What else is going on with you? Oh, I mean, we, we <laughs> all that was just like a, a pin in the middle of checking in with you. I mean, yeah. Well. So- did we even start the check-in? I feel like it was just like, how am I... Right, yeah, no, we, but no, you're right. I, I wanted to introduce you first. We were just all of that, that. What an introduction <laughs> you just got. So, yeah. So, all of that was to say... So, I am... Danae is in the mix. We're excited about it. We're going to give her a chance to share some of her Buffy takes. And it sounds like she's got some hot ones. I, yeah. And... I have, I have many opinions. Right. Thoughts and feelings. Thoughts and feelings. And all of that said, now we get to a point where, which is standard for our episodes, after we do our introduction, mm-hmm. we do our check-in, and, and we both have, I mean, there's been a lot of life that's, well, yeah, our I listeners haven't life. met you yet, and you already shared a little bit about your childhood, but, <laughs> but how you been lately? Like, yes. Like, so how's pandemic life treating Pandemic you? life. Well, so, I, it's funny because during this last week, I 
have had a lot going on. I've actually, like, for the most part, during the whole pandemic, it has been nothing. Right. It has been... I did get a new job uh, in the middle of it, which was a really great opportunity. It was a great move. So happy I did it. And so that was pretty much my focus. I was really focused on doing really well at this job and, fo- like, getting out of that old job mm-hmm. that ha- that was hard and getting into this new job that has been a lot better. So for the last year, because the pandemic is coming up on its one-year anniversary. My um, God. <laughs> I, know, I know exactly. Because Isn't it still last March? The, that's the thing, is that the pandemic's start date in Oregon was the day after my birthday. So it's March 17th. Right. The official, the official quarantine, close the stay-at-home order. Stay-at-home. So I, I know exactly when it happened, and it, we're coming up on my birthday. But, so that, to say, I have recently been, I've been doing really well at my job. We had, like, a big meeting, and I said I was doing really great. and I, so A I good performance that. review. Yeah, yeah, kind of thing. And then I have a bunch of plans coming up for my birthday that I'm really excited about. I'm going to see Marley. She's coming downtown. My sister. Yes. Which is, I should say, how I know you. That is, that is, <laughs> You're oh, one of my yeah. sister's best friends. The, uh, the reason I'm connected to the McGills is that me and Marley were really, we, we didn't actually know each other through high school. Mm, we were mm-hmm. just kind of near the same circles. Right. But when she graduated, I started hanging out with Nicole and Marley, who are best friends since kindergarten. Right. And... Ooh, ooh. <laughs> and we all became really close it was them me our other friend Danica and Brianna and we all became this this pack right. and really changed my life in a lot of ways that I could get mushy about right right I've told them right you keep you, you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't have to go that deep you could if you wanted to no 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 <laughs> I've already cried right, right. <laughs> gotta cry out of the way Ugh, every day. Every day of the pandemic. <laughs> right, right, right. That's, I schedule it Them now. rules. It's, 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 it's in my, my little calendar. My calendar, <laughs> wake up, or maybe I'll push it back to like the middle of the afternoon. I can't keep canceling that. <laughs> um, anyway, I, so yes, I, they are my closest friends still, like it's been almost 10 years since high school ended and mm-hmm. we still prioritize seeing each other. You have a very just... tight knit squad. Yes. Yes, which I am sort of peripherally attached to just by virtue of Marley's my sister, but also I'm friends with all of you. Yes. And you are the person in that squad that I would always gravitate to to talk about nerdy shit. Yes, I am the nerd. Right. <laughs> like, I am the the one. I went to college for a long time to do video game programming. I, you know, that's, that's like... Right, right. Pretty good Between that and the Firefly and the Buffy factor of it all, it, y'all are in a D&D campaign currently now. In a D&D. Currently in a D&D campaign. I think that can sum up. I Yeah, so I'm the nerd. I'm the... We've also had long, long talks about Star Wars. Like Yes. We, so... So Right, right, right. So really, I am just overdue for having you on the podcast. <laughs> but again, I'm going to put a, a lot of responsibility on your shoulders here. Because you... Between you, me, and Marley, we're carrying this torch until Sam is back in the mix. Yes. Because I need to get this got dang podcast <laughs> running again. And I'm really excited to yeah. to take a, another look back. Um, so we're going to talk about season one. Mm-hmm. And you requested not to talk about every episode because you don't have anything there. super meaningful to say about every episode. Um, do you want to do your check-in? 
Oh, I, I guess we didn't. Oh, wait, um, and I wasn't done. <laughs> oh, I was sorry, saying, I look for these natural jumping off points. So, say, so. Real yeah. quick, I, so I have a lot of stuff coming up. That is to say, the other day I was having just like an epiphany thinking about all these positive things happening in my life. Mm-hmm. And I got this like, you can ask Nicole, I sent her a text that was just like, I'm like having a moment and I was just like overwhelmed with like gratitude and joy. And I had just like this really like, I'm in a great spot right now when I've been. Hell yeah. And so it was like a whole thing. Isn't it disorienting to have a a positive feeling at all in the last year? (laughs) Exactly. Almost feels guilty. Exactly. It was, it was a big old, I had a moment and it was just like, um, it's so weird because well, it's just like you live your life and you kind of feel like sometimes the only time you're allowed to have strong emotions is for when it's something devastating. Right. Or when it's, yeah. Or when it's, you know, compassion for others when it's something that, but it's like, when I had that moment, I let myself just be like, no, it's okay to feel good. Right. And it was like, yeah. So it was a big hole that I had in the middle of work and I was crying at my desk. (laughs) That's a very good epiphany that I think has not occurred to me yet. Oh, like I've, I've had good periods throughout the last year, but I think I do need to remind myself that it's okay to not just be in a constant state of dread and anxiety, like which are appropriate responses yeah. given how precarious the world has been for the last year. But life is more than that. Well, it's like <laughs> life is still going. Right. Like we right. feel like there's a, I feel like this energy of life is supposed to be on pause. Right. And until everything gets back to normal. But in reality, we are still going. We are still right. living. And I think it's like, really important to take a moment and be like, I can still find joy right. in whatever I have available to me. Right. So you, you gotta like, right. yeah, kind of take those moments if you can get them mm-hmm. and really cherish them when they come. Absolutely. And I think part of what is hard about getting too excited about life in the pandemic is like, we've been in this long protracted sort of half pause. Mm-hmm. Like if, and, and this is, a bigger scale political concern. But like if we had had an actual like everyone put their life on pause for like a month or two, we wouldn't still be experiencing the pandemic as acutely as we are now. Instead, we've been in this weird sort of like half committed, almost lockdown, some states taking it a lot more seriously than others. And that's put us all in this sort of state of like uh, limbo. Yeah, We've all been in limbo for a year Wondering, like, are we, like, should we put our lives on pause when other people aren't? And, like... It's, yeah, and then it's, you get stuck in the, like, well, I put my life on pause and it's still happening. Right, so right. It's like, but, like, the world isn't stopping. Yeah. Maybe it should be, but it isn't. So what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that thing of, like, you have to... Yeah, and it's, it's like, the things I found joy in are definitely things that, you know, COVID never didn't, couldn't affect, like... I still have to go to work, I, right. so I'm doing well at my job, and my job is very, like, remote, and we right. do Zoom calls and everything like that. Right. But it's it's the realization that you can take solace in the things that aren't negatively affecting COVID right. and, ch- and try and focus in on those, right. like, you know, going, I, we went on more hikes, and then, right. like, that's, like, found a really beautiful park, so it's really trying to cherish those mm-hmm. parts of it so that you can like at least feel good a little bit. Right. Right. So it's not not just okay but important to celebrate the little wins yes. along the way. And you had this epiphany of sort of like how many of those little wins 
mm-hmm. you've had over the last year and how it's brought you to an overall better place in your life or, or uh, not uh, but yeah yeah you're you're moving in a direction and yes, you feel like it's a I, positive one yes i don't feel like my life is on, on pause because of covid and that is makes me feel like i am the victor of this pandemic right right right, 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 right. <laughs> in a yeah. dramatic sense right yes yeah 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 and sam and i mentioned this actually in the i think in the revelations episode so we had this conversation last May and it felt a little naive in retrospect, but he's like, here's how you win the pandemic is you manufacture arbitrary conflict and then defeat it and then feel like you're doing, he's like, and that was, he was applying that to like making dried fruit or yes, something, exactly. <laughs> but like set little goals and, you know, set yourself up for victory and then experience a little bit of joy or celebration on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah, I think it, yeah, and I guess the, the point of all of it is, yeah, just, it is very important to place importance on the good mo- moments. Right. Whereas I feel like before, good moments were just good moments. Now right. it's like good moments are so important. Right, like, and, yeah, and you have to retrain your brain to emphasize the positive rather than dwelling on the negative because your natural inclination is going to be doing the opposite. Yeah. Like, and there's brain science around that. Like, it's so much easier to dwell on the negative, mm-hmm. whereas positive experiences and positive emotions just, like, they just, like, fall off like Teflon. Yeah. And negative experiences have a way of just, like, really clinging to your neural pathways. But you, you can train your brain to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're intentionally dwelling I'm on the finally positive. finally working on it. Right, right. <laughs> It, it is funny how, like, it took about a year, for me too, yeah. to feel like what life will look like next. It t- I needed the entire year to just figure out, like, to, to learn whatever lessons I could learn from the pandemic. It yeah. took an entire year to get there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, just such a huge culture adjustment that, right. like, it couldn't happen overnight. Right, right, right. And we, for the, feels like for the first, at least, most of it, <laughs> we were all in this sort of, like shock response this like sort of like trauma around like i don't know if the world's gonna end yeah this could be it for us and i mean and right and and you know for and it's important to recognize like for a lot of people their worlds did change dramatically like a lot of people lost loved ones um and i think we're just like beginning to reckon with how devastating the magnitude of that loss is Mm -hmm. because like we've lost over a half million american lives you know millions the world over it's like yeah it's it's incomprehensible it's an amount of tragedy that you just can't wrap your head around so i feel like it's too easy to just like not think about it so yeah 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 but but you're killing the game right now i got it you're you you got this (laughs) i got this how are you, Jordan? Oh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm actually, I'm good. I've just been a little uh, maxed out, I would say, the last week. Uh, I work for a public school in Oregon, a public high school, and which the public schools are gearing for a reopen, which is a really nerve-wracking thing. No one's sure if the timing is right. Feels like it might be a little premature, but at the same time, the school I work and the district I work feels like they're doing everything they can to make it as safe as possible given these statewide mandates and at least i've had the opportunity and i'm absolutely checking my privilege here to get both of my covid vaccines which there is a huge sort of sense of relief associated with that 
and that's like the safe way to start making your life a little more back to normal incrementally. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm not going to any raves or going into any like concerts or massive church services anytime soon, but I am sort of like rewidening my social circle a little bit. Mm-hmm while still trying to be as safe as possible, still staying home as much as possible, still quarantining when there's a close call or indirect exposure, which has happened to me a number of times over the last year. Yeah. So it feels like... I mean, me too. I mean, both of my parents got it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, thank God my mom and my sister didn't, and they're both also vaccinated, so I've been able to spend more time with them lately. But, like, I have friends and friends of friends who got it, and thankfully no one's had like a lifelong like life altering degree of of covid or or like reaction to covid mm-hmm. but it's still yeah there've been a number of times over the last year including right before i got my second vaccine that i, I was either directly or indirectly exposed and would have to quarantine for a while yeah. like really locked down like not go grocery shopping or whatever yeah. and so as i'm gearing to go like I'm, I'm working back in the school they brought the staff back before they bring the students this week we're going to be doing limited in person and i'm one of just four staff who are in charge of that limited in person like oh, we're wow. bringing 40 seniors back into the building giving them a chance to get plugged back in so they graduate because a lot of a lot of students have kind of fallen through the cracks and it's i don't want to say it's anybody's fault because it couldn't be avoided school was schools are always a hotbed of infection and during a pandemic it just wasn't safe to have them reopen but there's a lot of students who just fell off the map because they don't have that sort of like constant support and encouragement and reinforcement and so they brought us back into the building and it's just different you know it's different seeing human faces again like i'm a kind of consummate extrovert and i've spent most of the last year alone in my one bedroom apartment (laughs) and just losing my mind and if i hadn't worked at this youth shelter that i've talked about on the pod if i didn't do that through the summer and develop a really close-knit group of friends through that experience i would have absolutely lost my mind that in therapy i had a good therapist but then i had a therapist who stopped practicing in the middle of the summer because she lost too many of her clients and so yep that's just what you want to hear when you reach out to your therapist asking for next appointment and she's like can't can't uh, no can do (laughs) uh but i yeah i found a new one who is great and so yeah yeah, just i've learned a lot about myself and about self-care in the last year and what i really need to be healthy i've also thought more about my kind of long-term career trajectory so Overall positive steps. But the last week, I've been gearing up for working in person again, bringing students back into the building, and essentially being in charge of the curriculum and what that experience is going to look like, trying to get my podcast launched again, (laughs) recovering from the second dose of the vaccine. Thankfully, I didn't have too strong a reaction. My sister had a really strong reaction. She got super sick. Um, Although I I was telling you before we started recording that I'm taking that a little bit personally because they say the folks who react to it most strongly, like who have the most severe reaction to the second dose are like young, healthy 20 somethings. And I thought I would fit into that category. And all my friends I got it with got sick. Oh no. (laughs) And here I am 29, like tail end of my twenties thinking I'm this young 20 something and being reminded that I'm not by my own body. So that feels great. You hate to see it. You hate to see it. You absolutely hate to see it. But, uh, and this next week is going to be just bonkers. So I, there's a lot on my plate right now and I feel a little maxed out, but overall 
it's all trending in a positive direction, but also there's a lot of uncertainty involved. Like we don't know what bringing students back is going to look like or what the consequences of that could be. But now there's a statewide mandate that we have to as of a certain date. And so it's weird. It's a little scary. It's also kind of like what you were saying. I'm giving myself permission to get a little excited about it. Yeah. Because I do miss the students a lot. And there have been students that this distance learning model didn't work for. And I really care about my kids. And I'm going to try my best to kind of help them get back on track before graduation. Yeah. And that's especially it's like things you can't control. You have to be able to be okay with it. Right. It's like, right. If it were up to us, that wouldn't be happening. Right. There'd be a better solution. But since it's mandated and it's not, kind of right. just have to be okay with it. And yeah. Learn how to roll with the punches. That's all this year has been. That's the big takeaway. It's just you roll with what's yeah, coming. Yeah, yeah. You got you got to learn how to roll with the punches. Play the hand you're dealt. More cliches. The friends we met along the way. Maybe the real pandemic is the friends we met along now the way. Now more than ever. <laughs> now more than ever in these unprecedented times. All right. So I, yeah, I think we should dive in because okay. we have actually been recording for forty minutes, which is dope, and Woo! it's all great content. But. Woo! <laughs> Okay. And um, at least 30 of that's usable. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, all of this I kind of already started explaining, but I want to get a second take from a lifelong fan and someone who operates from a different perspective than Samurai. Mm-hmm. Samurai? <laughs> that's a word. Samurai? <laughs> Actually, it would be me, so Sam or me. Um, oh, that's not, not as cool. Uh, yeah, a little bit of, you know, I feel like a lot of this podcast is coming from a very spiritual and really, and I mean, I don't think we've really checked in about my religion. <laughs> oh, do you, do you want <laughs> to on oh, Mike? Oh, I, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Just to give a little bit of perspective on where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. because I wouldn't say I have not like, I'm not like, oh, my religion is, I'm not like I have a weird religion. But I do view religion a little bit differently right. in the sense that I am, I still identify as a Christian. Mm-hmm. I do believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe like all those things. But I am one of those people who got really hurt by a big, like a, by a church. Right, right. Uh, that's a whole big past. Right. Not going to go into, but. Might come up in one of these episodes. It we'll might see. come up in one of these But it's, it's shapes the way I see a lot of theological reads because mm-hmm. there is a level of innate distrust that I have towards the Bible, I guess. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. Specifically, You have yeah. baggage not just with that kind of church environment, but with a lot of the trappings of that church environment. Yes. It's kind of like I... The way I kind of see things is like the only person I trust to understand my relationship with God is me and God. Absolutely. So it's like when I think about things like the Bible, I think it's really good to read those things, but you can't take them as law. You can't take them because it's, it's an interpretation of an interpretation of a translation. And so it's one of those things where because so much humanity and humans came into the reconstruction of this word, I take it with a grain of salt. So it's like, in that sense, it's like, yeah, like, why is that? Like, I'm still Christian. I still try and see it from a little bit more perspectives than just the traditional, normal religious theology. Right, right, right. Yeah, if I might, I mean, you're definitely an awesome perspective to have on this show because you are coming from a similar place 
as me and Sam, in that you grew up in this conservative Christian household, which I wouldn't say is necessarily my story, but I certainly spent some time in that world. Mm -hmm. And Sam definitely came from a very conservative Christian household and have also experienced a a kind of disillusionment with the structures of organized religion, which I think was, I would say is also true of me and Sam. I think the difference being that we've still sort of built a kind of like sense of vocation around reforming that space. But I think your experience speaks to what increasingly folks from our generation are doing, which is seeking spiritual experiences outside of the structures of traditional church. Yeah. uh, Which absolutely more power to you. I mean, even since I was recording these episodes consistently, part of why I haven't been as creative or as active in the last couple of years is because I experienced a, I don't know, if I had a faith crisis in college, I had a church crisis over the last couple of years because the process of coming out and then trying to remain in this conservative church environment wound up being pretty traumatic. So I'm as skeptical as anybody if the structures of evangelical Christian church in America are doing more good than harm. Exactly. Uh, right. So so that is an entirely open question to me. So, yeah. And so I, I like that you're bringing that to the table because it's funny. I'll bring it up now. I was reading some of our podcast reviews, which is probably a mistake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> They're mostly positive. There are two negative ones. One uh, I'll bring up later, but the other one is like, <laughs> it's really funny. It's like uh, they, they sort of accused us of being like uh, Bible thumpers, uh, which is funny, <laughs> which is really funny because like. You know, we're pretty critical of traditional evangelical Christianity and theology on our show. We're both, you know, I would say, like what you described, like essentially Christian, but but very critical of the church and very critical of the way evangelicalism functions in America. Mm-hmm. But we do root our readings in theology and in Christian tradition because that's what we both, that's our discipline. That's, you know, we each have two degrees to do that essentially, or Sam's about to wrap up his second degree. And I wonder if I should just bring it up. I'm gonna, in fact, yeah, I'm going to read the review. Okay. Not to be petty. <laughs> but, no. be a, but a little petty. Oh. Um, it's okay to That's be a little petty. A little petty. Little petty. <laughs> oh, dibs. That would... No, no, no. That, yeah, that's my MC name. <laughs> little petty. Little petty. My rap name is Little Bit. Little Bit. That's mm-hmm. a good one. So, smacking us with the Bible is what this review is called. Ooh. This isn't for me. Well, I liked their quote somewhat enthusiasm for Buffy quotes around somewhat whoa they make it about the bible any chance they get I'm obsessed with Buffy and all things Buffy but this feels this falls very flat and tiresome so ouch I mean it does I I take it as just as a person I take everything personally and that it does hurt my feelings but that's not the point of reading that the what's funny about it is like feels like we this isn't a bait and switch like we're not pretending to that was gonna say it's like to be it's just pure buffy podcast like the point of the podcast like on the label in the in the intro you say right through the lens of Of theology theology, yeah and it's like yeah that's the thing it's like if you're coming here for strictly buffy right that's wrong (laughs) it also feels like they think we're only somewhat enthusiastic about buffy which is funny because it's my favorite show and i do have a podcast about it (laughs) but i also like i think what they might be speaking to there is that we are critical of it. Yeah. And that's a value that we both have for the art we consume uh, and the media we consume is like love what you love, but also be critical of what you love because it doesn't help anybody to pretend that the media you consume is flawless. 
when I think that goes even into past media, that's just got to be about everything. Right. Like, especially that's like, I don't want to take it there, but politics. Right. Sure. <laughs> you got to be, you can be really enthused about something, but you have to be critical about right. it. Otherwise, you are just plain fanatics. Right. And that's how you get led astray. You right. have to be able to look at everything, no matter what it is. You have right. to look at, like, the brand of soup you buy. Right. <laughs> just right. be critical right. of everything in your life. Otherwise, you're not aware and you're not. Lear- like learning. Yeah, you can't see the problems and you don't learn from them. Exactly. Yeah. So it's the same with it's same with religion, same with media, same with everything. Yeah. You have to be able to see things, appreciate what you know and can trust, but then keep an eye out for something that doesn't seem right. Right, right, right. Love what you love, but be willing to accept what's problematic about it and engage in dialogue about that. Exactly. I agree. And taking it to a political place is really interesting because... I'm concerned that my mom might not be appropriately critical of Joe Biden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and granted, it's like part of it is how how much relief she's experiencing not having a president who's actively hostile and incompetent. Exactly. Like the last administration. So she's, she'll just say like, I just swear, I, I see like a halo around that man. I'm like, well, well, I don't, I think that's maybe swinging too far in the other direction. That's failing to engage with what's problematic while also appreciating the positive yeah i saw a tiktok about this exactly right it was a it started out with a conservative woman just being like where are all the joe biden fans on my tiktok right and then it was a joe biden fan who stitched it and be like because they're our political representative they're not our celebrity or our baseball team right we are critical of him still we don't blindly follow him like he's a deity right right and he works for us yeah he's a he's a civil servant to what we do so we have like number one be critical of his decisions because otherwise we need to we won't vote for him next year right that's why we didn't elect the last the the last one yeah (laughs) i love that we're not saying his name that's so good that's so good feels like yeah like voldemort right (laughs) Oh, that's a whole other, uh, a whole other, what is the term? Can of worms. Can of worms. I was thinking basket of eggs for some reason. That's a whole other basket of eggs. <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms, yeah. JK Rowling, but also Joss Whedon. So but yeah, let's talk together. about that now. Let's talk like, about that. Basically, my perspective of this, it boils down to starting out and growing up and adapting into a young woman while watching Buffy, it shaped so much of what my idea of feminism is. Mm. And there are so many aspects and so many parts of this show that do speak to that in a really real sense. Right. That it is, it is hard for me to fully denounce Joss Whedon as completely anti-feminist and other Obviously, he has done horrible things. He right. has treated his actors terribly, and that is an unforgivable. But... When it comes to this show, I and other shows, he writes real women characters. Right. And he, the best episodes I have on my list, almost all of them are written and directed by Joss Whedon, which right. is, and it's it's such a double edged sword that I think as a female, I get a little bit more leeway and able to say. Right, right. That, I think on on a certain level, Sam and I are trying to be preemptive about, like, we don't want to be the men defending the man. Exactly. So, like, on this podcast, at least, I wanted to be a little bit of a voice to say that this show still does have the ability to speak on feminist talk. It still does have... Absolutely. There are... I 
watch certain episodes, certain scenes that bring me so much power as a woman that I can't, I can't just, like, I can't push it under the table. I can't, like, cancel it because it's, it's so important to me. And so it's like, that's what my perspective on it is just that I understand. And it is also true that the period in which this came out, while it still does have a lot of flaws, I mean, everything Xander says in the first few seasons is just trash. You're right, you're right, you're right. It's <laughs> um, tough. So it's, it's, but it's kind of what we were saying earlier. It's just like, you can still love something and be critical of it. I think the same as you can still love someone and be critical of them. Mm. So I, Joss Whedon, while lo- having lost a lot of my respect, he still matters to me mm-hmm. for what he did in my past. Right. For the th- ways he redefined what it is to have a family. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like the way I was able to connect to my friends even. It's it, things he, like he helped paint in my life that I can't ignore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's the thing. It's, and it's, it, honestly, I tie it also back to a little bit like religion. Mm-hmm. I can denounce the church, but still want them to do well. Right. And it's like, I hope that he can change. I mm-hmm. hope that he can grow. Right. And if he, that's the thing. I just hope that, that's, and that's something about a lot of the Me Too movement. The idea of canceling people feels really harsh to me because everybody in this world has the potential to make faults and mm-hmm. make flaws. And I think what we need to do is, yes, hold them accountable, but get, like, not take away their opportunities to do better. Mm-hmm. Leave room for the possibility that certain people could change. Yes, yes. And it's like, I, to the extent at which his these allegations are happening, it's hard for... I didn't honestly do... I haven't, you know, read every interview of people who stepped for, step forward. I read, I read Charisma Carpenter's, mm-hmm. and she is also... One of my favorite actors of all time. So right. that was a right. big, like, harsh reality to face. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's again, it's, it, of course, it's not okay. Back to the main statement I am saying is that, yes, it was not okay. But I hope that we can see, see him as a person that can possibly improve. So he can't, he, I sh- he shouldn't be allowed to do media until he has apologized, until he has m- maybe made strides towards mending those past mistakes, things like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel that way about other people who have faced allegations. Like, I think the culture we have, the cancel culture that we have, leaves a lot, uh, or leaves no room for forgiveness Mm. and leaves no room for improvement. And that frustrates me Mm. because it's, it's, it's not human Mm -hmm. to expect people to always be perfect. And if they fail, they are completely cut out yeah yeah i definitely hear what you're saying i think these issues can be treated as very binary like very yes no pass fail right wrong when it is always a little bit more complicated than that although another example that comes to mind when you talk about apologizing and how there might be room in the broader conversation for that is i think about dan Harmon, Mm. who i think is sort of a test case for like what you could say accountability or even repentance might look like. Mm -hmm. He entirely owned up to what he did. 
and to what it revealed about his own character and was even sort of given this like public absolution from his accuser. Granted, he was accused of not sexual assault, but certainly sexual harassment in the workplace and being single, singling out one of his female collaborators and creating a hostile working environment for her, which is, I would say comparable to what we're talking about with Joss Whedon. Well, yeah, I was going to say, Joss Whedon was never accused of sexual assault. Right. It, and was it even sexual harassment, or was it just... I would say you could call it like, gendered harassment, um, yeah. considering what Charisma Carpenter shared, and his, like, pressuring her to terminate her pregnancy, yeah. and firing her for getting pregnant. And that's another thing, is, like, it's when it's treated the same as, like, you do something wrong, it's the same on every case. Right. Again, it's, like, it's frustrating, because, like... Again, while it was terrible, he didn't sexually assault her. He didn't sexually harass her. It was just gender gender harassment. Which, yeah. again, harassment, not good. Right. Right. And I will say, though, the narrative is quickly shaping up as, like, it seems like all the women from his projects are stepping forward to say that yeah. there was something inappropriate. And in certain cases, we don't even know what the extent of it was. Like, there was Michelle Trachtenberg coming forward saying that, like, he wasn't even allowed to be, like, alone in a room with her mm. when she was a minor on set. So I, what I'll say is we don't know the extent of what happened. Yes. And which makes it hard to speak in definitive ways about it. And ultimately, I think, I hope Sam and I didn't come across as saying, like, the work must be discounted based on the problematic nature of the creator. Um, but what I hear you saying, which, and, and which I do appreciate, is, like, this is someone who, for how meaningful his work was and how explicitly empowering his work was, meant something to you personally. Yes. Which makes it hard not to just dismiss the art, which isn't necessarily, you know, people aren't necessarily asking that of you, but to dismiss entirely the person or to, what I'll say is, I think it would be easier, given the nature of these allegations, to say that he was pretending to be a feminist Mm -hmm. in order to curry favor with women in order to exploit them. I think that's too easy. I think that is, it's discounting the possibility that people can embody contradiction and paradox. I think there was some part of him who believed he was a feminist and was trying to infuse that in his work in order to do social good. Yeah. While then also being the kind of person who would treat his female employees because he was their boss in very gendered ways and what to me ultimately is most salient about this whole situation is especially i mean it feels like more relevant to his ability to work in the future that he the nature of his accusations was that he was creating a hostile working environment Mm -hmm. and that he was abusive to his collaborators like if he had if he'd been accused of and he was also accused of by his ex-wife of some gendered harassment in their marriage, but that was less relevant to his work. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that he is actively abusive of his collaborators, I think, does mean until we are convinced that that's not true, he really doesn't have business working in the industry. Exactly. Or that they won't continue to be true. Yes. I just hope, I hope he can, like, I still am holding out hope that he can look back on his behavior, understand its flaws, and hopefully grow and apologize and learn from it. Right. We haven't seen that yet, which is disheartening. And so it, it is definitely like a hard pill to swallow yeah. that I'm trying to deal with. Yeah. But I can I'm still hoping. Right. I'm still hoping and if he does, I say that I 
he can work to earn my trust back. Not right now. Mm-hmm. He'd have to work really hard for it. Yeah. And that's the same thing with every person who has allegations or gets canceled. Like, you have, it's, I see it almost as a relationship. Like, because I, like, the artist with their fans. Yeah. The yeah. artist with their fan is, like, feels like a personal relationship to me. And because media is a big part of how, how I'm shaped, who I am right. as a person. So if a creator hurts me like that and, we have such a strong bond as I did with Buffy and Firefly, then I am going to try and give them another chance. But if they hurt me again, mm-hmm. then eventually I'll, I'll break off. So it's kind of it's proportionate mm-hmm. to what they mean to me. Right. How um, many chances they're going to get or, or how uh, the threshold you have to extend grace to them. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yes, he, yeah. he's got a long road ahead. I hope he travels it. If he doesn't, I yeah, I will denounce the next projects he does if he just tries to jump back in. Right. Without reckoning Without with reckoning, what without he's being accused apologizing. of. Apologizing. Yeah. If he just tries to keep on with the old behavior, that's inexcusable. Right. But I'm, yeah, it's, I'm coming with the perspective of, I hope I can give him a chance. Yeah, I, I, I feel that. I think I'm more on a page. And it does feel like a breach of trust when someone who purports to stand for values that mean a lot to you and whose work shaped your understanding of those values to then have been betraying those values privately behind closed doors. I think I'm in a place of such betrayal. Granted, he didn't hurt me or even people like me necessarily, but my... Well, he kind of did. That is a big betrayal. And it is... Right. That's like I said, I can see that as... Right. Like I see my creators as a personal relationship. That's a big betrayal. It is a betrayal. I just don't want... I don't want to put it on the same caliber as as what he did to Ray Parker and Charisma Carpenter. Absolutely. Okay, I see. And... But it is a betrayal because Buffy did shape some of my feminist values. Yeah. And I considered him to be... And this feels naive now and is embarrassing. Considered him to be a role model of what allyship looks like because he's not a woman but uses his platform to advocate for women's issues and well, like i he there was a speech he did about feminism yeah. that, that i watched when it first came out and i was very moved and it was right like he, so we need equality he wasn't now just writing yeah. me he was straight up speaking out right for feminism and it's it's so fr- it is right. very frustrating right, right. and it, it feels like a betrayal because his work had helped shape those values for me. And that betrayal, I mean, and I was such as a Whedon stan. Mm-hmm. Like, all of his work, I so resonate with on a quality level that even when there were critiques of it, granted, I spend, have spent a lot of time on this podcast critiquing Buffy, mm-hmm. but when people were like, you know, Age of Ultron's bad, yeah. or, or messy, or this Black Widow line is sexist and regressive, I would feel this sort of like knee-jerk reaction to want to defend or presume positive intent and it's harder to do now and like i was such a stan that now and and, you know there's such a betrayal of the values that i find meaningful in his work i now find myself less willing to extend the kind of grace you're describing and that's a personal thing i am skeptical that he will do the work necessary not just because of him, but because so few have in That's the industry. True. But what else? I'll, I'll give a, a, I would say, different example where I expressed the same kind of hope. I had a similar conversation 
with my friend Gabe about the artist Sia. Oh. Yeah, who who I wouldn't you know isn't accused of abuse or harassment, but did step in it in a pretty public way, and that betrayed some sort of ableist values, and that in a way that was deeply hurtful for the disability community, the autism community. Yeah, so she, for those who don't know, she cast Maddie. Is it Ziedler? Ziedler, yeah. In a movie that she was filming where this Maddie was portraying a character on the autism spectrum and who I'll just say she got a lot of flack for this casting and then very much dug her heels in in a, in a way that was sort of essentially saying like people who are who are on the autism spectrum, particularly those who are less verbal, are incapable of doing this kind of work. Which is just not a good take as we increasingly move toward greater representation for disabilities. I mean, you had a couple of years ago, like a movie Peanut Butter Falcon came out yeah. with Shia LaBeouf and an actor Zach Gotzigan. I absolutely love. And this actor Zach Gotzigan has Down syndrome and put in an incredibly authentic performance, which was in no way detracting from the quality of the movie. And if anything, added a degree of earnestness to a film that is about that kind of sincerity and earnestness. So it's just not true that yeah. people with disabilities can't portray characters with disabilities. That said, and my, my friend Gay was talking about this and he has spent a lot of his time working with special needs students and it was deeply offended rightfully so by what Sia said. And all I could say is like, I hope she learns her lesson though. Because her yeah. work means a lot to me. Yeah. And I'm not minimizing her transgression, but I am ex- essentially saying what you're yeah, saying. is like, I have hope for this creator because their work means so much to me. Yes. And it's that, like, I can't deny the fact that it helped me through some of the hardest times of my life. And, yeah, it's like I can't, I can't paint over it. I right. can't ignore it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it is definitely a very hard topic. Yeah. It's, it's not something that's got a simple answer. It's not something that, it's definitely something I think it's great that we're in a society that we can talk about these right. things. It's, an, it's nice that it is great that these women were able to speak up. Right. And that's, I think, I think a lot of the time people who are very, really apologist about these issues tend to be like, well, everybody's just standing up and it's just like. Because for so many years, nobody could. And so it's like, I... Right, I'm, people who are like, why is this suddenly... Like, why does everyone have one of these stories now? Yeah, yeah. Is it just for attention or is it a fad? It's like, no, if anything, it's realizing how absolutely fundamental and endemic this kind of problem was that yeah. everyone has a story like this. Yeah, so it's like, in this particular situation, I am so incredibly proud and supportive of Crystal Carpenter. I love her so much right. that this moment I'm just like, thank you so much right. for standing up and saying these things. Right. And on the other side of it, also yeah. being like, but I hope he learns and I hope he can get another chance to, because he has a voice for feminism. It's been proven in these right. in his works. I just hope he can really, like, almost speak to himself about it. Like, right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good way of putting it because it's like his actions so betrayed the values he espoused that you, well, that's what makes it hard to reckon with because you're like, did you ever believe that? Because how could you believe that and then behave that way? Yeah. So, I mean, I appreciate you're adding this perspective to the conversation because I suspect there are listeners 
who are on a similar page, mm-hmm. like for whom the work was so meaningful that they're not entirely willing to dismiss the person entirely. Yeah. I think with Sam and I, I think our statement was definitive and I don't regret it because as things stand, I don't think he has a business working in, in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I also, like I mentioned before, and don't want to be flippant about, very much did not want to be the guys who were making excuses for an abusive man. Yeah, of course. And uh, so, but I appreciate you're bringing that perspective to the table because it does on some level speak to the sense of betrayal that I'm experiencing. Yeah. And, and hearing that, it does, I, I get where you're coming from a little bit more of the sense right. of that. That is a, it is a big betrayal. It's yeah. a huge betrayal to all the ideals. And yeah, like from the very first moment I heard it, it hurt. Right. It actually hurt. Right. Because it, I don't think it negates any of the positive things he wrote, but I do think it gives us all a sense of dissonance and complicates these things that were once unambiguously positive in our lives. And yeah, that's the root of the betrayal for me. But I think what you're speaking to, which is an important perspective is there is a, like there was a moment when I was thinking like, is it responsible to continue engaging with the show at all if it's could be seen as celebrating mm-hmm. the be the, the abuse that was happening behind the scenes and there are those who unambiguously think no you should stop engaging with this material if it's celebrating or normalizing or lining the pockets of these yeah. people who abused their role and who have caused harm to these marginalized groups and and I don't think that's an easy perspective to dismiss, but ultimately we did come to the conclusion of, and this is kind of what you're describing as yeah. well, is the work was so meaningful and the problematic nature of the creator doesn't negate how meaningful the work was. And can be to people. Like it's, it's right. though when it has those moments of power, it's still relevant. It still can be, there are still speeches, there are still mo- character moments that offer something to newer viewers you're right so it's yeah, it's, yeah. I, I think it's I can't stop suggesting the show I right. can't stop getting people to watch it yeah even though its creator is going through these allegations right right yeah no I appreciate you're bringing all that up and like I said I think that's going to connect with some of our listeners who maybe didn't feel like Sam and I explored the issue in its complication yeah. in our in our last episode um, so I appreciate you bringing that up. But I do think we need to talk about season one <laughs> yes. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Otherwise, Nicole's going to start throwing hands. Because <laughs> <laughs> we won't let her, because you won't let her shower <laughs> until we're done recording. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, let's just jump right into just it. Just jump into it. Okay, so I re-listened to our first several episodes of Prophecy Guys, mm-hmm. which is weird. Yes. For a lot of reasons. You mentioned that to me. Yes. I'm, we're just all at a very different point in our lives than we were four. It's been four about four years ago, almost exactly now, because oh, wow. we started the, we started releasing in March of 2017. I was going to say, yeah, you did it near the anniversary. Which right. Like, right, right. Right. March of 2017. We recorded our first episode almost a year earlier than that, but it took us <laughs> that long to... Really get going. Really... Listeners, you can just expect that degree of inconsistency from us. Sorry. What? The anniversary is in three days. It's in three days. Yeah, March 10th. 
I don't know if I'll have this episode prepared to release by then. <laughs> That's fine. That'd be kind of meaningful, though. We'll see. I might have to. <laughs> I might have to. Um, oh, my next few days are going to be so busy. Uh, you don't have to. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. <laughs> so it's weird. I I didn't get a chance to rewatch the episodes. I know you did. Yes, and I didn't get a chance to re-listen to all the podcasts. I listened to a few. Did I, you listen to the first? I listened to Welcome to Helmuth and the Harvest. I listened to Angel. I listened to Prophecy Girl. Okay, so yeah. I, we, I, in this first episode, I'm going to want to rate the big three from season one. I'm going to want to tackle the first six episodes of Buffy. Yes. Of which it sounds like you're most prepared to talk about just the pilot. So let's spend most of our time on that. Yes. Uh, so the Buffy pilot, just overall impressions of the Buffy pilot. So I, I do like it. I think when I was listening to the podcast, you guys are a little bit more stoked about it than I am. Okay. Like, I think it's a pretty good, but it it still does feel very like they're, 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 they're starting. They're picking right. up speed. feels very season one. Yes. It feels very season one. It feels very like lots of corny, lots of campy. Uh, one time a vampire poofs and it twinkles. Oh. Like, it's almost a little precursor to Twilight a little bit. Like, a little bit of glimmer like the in the... Effects, right. the yeah, but like, oh, I no, see what you're saying. Yeah, no, it, yeah, like it poofs and it's like... So there, like, there's oh, a little... Okay. That didn't stick. <laughs> yeah, or I still rated it a B. Spoiler. Right. <laughs> <laughs> On my rating. Um, but the the growing pains are really evident to you. Yes. Yeah. I think it's it's still like... It doesn't necessarily speak to the potential that Buffy has. I think that Angel and Prophecy Girl are more shining examples of first season. This is where the show signs in these episodes. And then it's... Uh, what model that Right. It's... You get a better sense of the tone that the series is going to have moving forward from Angel, the episode Angel, yeah. and the episode Prophecy Girl. Yes, um, exactly. But the pilot is... It just, it's necessary. Right. It's like... It's doing a lot of work to set the table. Yeah, and it's like, I guess, and that's just maybe a personal opinion. It's kind of like how a lot of people's, for like, uh, trilogies and stuff like that, like, their favorites are the first one, and I'm always, like, almost always mine's the last one. Okay. So it's kind of, it is just a personal opinion in that sense of like, I like where the story's going. Right. Getting there is just part of it. Right. So I think that's my opinion the uh, Harvest and Hellmouth is that it yeah it gets it gets it going I like watching it to get it going that's where you start mm-hmm. first episode meeting these characters that I love and know so well that's what I like about it yeah and yeah it's it's interesting that you say we were stoked about it because I listened to the episode I agree we were kind of stoked <laughs> yeah. about it which I think feels like I think you guys were more just stoked to be starting the podcast. I, I think that was part of it. I definitely think that was part of it. Also, like, as a television pilot, I think it's quite good. Yeah. But compared to the qual- the general quality we would come to expect of Buffy, it's closer to the bottom of the pile than the yeah. top of the pile. Like, and I, I think... Uh, for 69 and 70. <laughs> so, <yeah>. Nice. <laughs> I should pull up my big list, actually, just a sec. Well, and it's like, I'm, what is the, what was your conversation? Do you remember? Yeah, I was going to bring that up next. you want me to dive into that? The also thing I didn't like about it is Darla in it. You don't like Darla in it? Because she's so weak. Oh, like everything we would come to know about that character. Yeah. She feels pretty. Well, it's just like, she does, like, I have a big thing for a certain type of character when you look at my favorite characters it's pretty clear and that's why darla's pretty up there <laughs> right 
Remind me, what, what is the archetype of character you connect with most? Is it the tough girl? It's, is that... well, I, it's Faith, Spike. No, but I mean, you, you said, like, we were having a conversation oh, kind of recently. Yes, my my favorite character in any given media is the tough girl. Avatar The Last Airbender, it's tough. It's... Right. What were the other examples? Well, I, you mentioned Faith in uh, Buffy, yeah, who, Faith and Buffy. at the point where we're at in the series... We have met. We yes. got to Revelations, and there's yes. been a couple different episodes with Faith. Yeah, Faith Open Trick. I mean, she is my favorite character. I was kind of... I don't... Were we doing that off mic? The favorite characters? Yeah, so that we hadn't started recording yet. Oh, and then we'll... we'll that'll come up for the lightning okay, round so at the we'll, end. we'll save it. But um, yeah, I'll... Let me just... Real quick, I want to see where I ranked the pilot. Where, where did you say? What number is it? 69, 70. Uh, for me, it's 102. So you, I guess you like it more than I did. Yeah. I think we were just bringing an amount of enthusiasm just to be talking about Buffy. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it is definitely not a absolute favorite for me. But what I would say is that it's solid as a pilot. And I think it, I think one of the things it establishes really well about Buffy and Sam spoke to this in his thematic read is subversion. Like, Joss Whedon as a creator is interested in subverting expectations. Yes. Even from the first scene where you think that this blonde girl is going to be victimized by this scary dude, turns out that she's Darla, she's a vampire, yeah. she bites him. Yes, which is, that is a great opening scene. And it, yeah, it's one of those things where that's the, that's what I was hoping Darla would continue to be. It's just like this, this as equally subversive as Buffy is. But then it's like you see her be so weak to the master and it's like... Yeah, she feels very subservient. She doesn't have a lot of agency. Yeah. She winds up just feeling sort of like an acolyte or like a... Yeah, some peon. And especially because she dies in an angel so quickly after meeting her it feels very just like i had more hopes for this character because she had such an awesome opening scene mm-hmm. and it just it felt flat right and so that's right. that's another thing of like when i write things or see things i go bigger picture and mm-hmm. it's like seeing the bigger picture and seeing darla like that lowered it for me right and yeah and there's again don't want to spoil things too much we know we see Darla again, at least in the episode Angel. Yes, and well, you see her in Becoming. Right, in a flashback in Becoming. Which, yeah, she... So, just suffice it to say that we wind up knowing more about that character than is evident in the first episode. Yes. And you wonder if it that's because, like, it's very possible that they hadn't planned... Oh, it's, it's everything they would it, do, wind up I doing with this character. almost guarantee they right. had no... They did... They, it's a retconning. Right, <laughs> like, right, right, right. So, and that's, that's fine. And I appreciate that they did it. Because, again, I was very intrigued by this character from the very first moment. Right, right. So, the fact that, yeah, it does, like, they see potential in that character and eventually do at least somewhat touch on it. Mm-hmm. I appreciate. Yeah. And also, I brought up Sam's thematic read. What's really interesting, listening to the first season of our podcast, and which I would sort of forgotten, is like, We've sort of changed the format of our show a couple times along the way. Like mm. in the first season, I would bring a theological theme yeah. to the conversation and Sam would bring an artistic theme to the conversation. And neither one of us would talk much about philosophy, even though our kind of threefold, you know, tagline for the show or, or our, uh, yeah, yeah we, we talk philosophy about through the lens of theology, philosophy and artistry. 
Sam would talk about artistry. I would talk about theology. Philosophy would just be peppered in. But yeah, and then then either one of us would talk a little bit of philosophy. And since then, Sam has gone into his graduate program for theology, but also for counseling. Yeah. And I finished my graduate degree in theology. So we're both kind of theologians, and we both draw on a certain amount of theology. And we both are media fans and media critics so to a certain degree. So we both talk about theology, philosophy, and artistry. But we started with like Sam's going to talk yeah. about the art. I'm going to talk about the theology. Thing about that was the subversive jump. Yeah, cut. the subverting <laughs> jump cut was his initial, and I, which I'm glad he drew attention to because that is such part of the visual language of Buffy. It's true. It's so true. Right. It's true. It true. It do be true though. <laughs> it's true though. <laughs> yeah. Is that is definitely. Throughout the show, you'll have a character say something and then immediately the scene cuts to that statement being subverted by a different scene, a different image. Well, and it's not just that. It's it's a, it's a subversive show altogether because right. like Angel, everything that's going on with Angel, you, you expect him to, now that you've gotten past season two, you expect him to be this like huge love interest, this right. always their guy, and then he turns out to be one of her biggest villains. Like, right. Right. It turns out to be the hardest to fight. And it's, it's, well, it's interesting because in, in Welcome to Hellmouth, the whole plot of the show, I think you mentioned it, was that a girl walks into an alley yeah. and she kicks his ass. Right. She kicks the monster's ass. And the monster was Angel. The very first monster she, she does. That's that right. Show That's is right. Angel. That's right. Even though in the moment we don't know yet he's a vampire. Mm hmm. Is that revealed? I don't think that's revealed no, until Angel. It's not revealed until Angel. So you had it, you don't know that. We don't know that that scene is fulfilling this initial kind of mission statement. Yes. For the show. Which I yeah, which I think is very interesting. That is. Right? Oh, oh, that's See, that's why we got Danae. <laughs> that's why we got Danae. Uh, it's like, yeah, I may not that's, that's one of the things I was going to say. I was like, I am not as theologically inclined as master's degrees over here. Right. <laughs> um but I do see, I am a big symbolism kind of person. I'm a, mm, I'm a big mm-hmm. idea. Right. Like, well, it's like that Restless is my favorite episode. Right. Because it's, it's just all symbolism. Yeah, we can leave that in. Like, okay, we, yeah. we just, let's not spoil specific sure, symbols. No, no, but I'll, yeah. I, I won't say more than that. There's Restless, favorite episode, just because it's all symbolism. Mm-hmm. It's all, there is so much thought put into it. It's almost like how people see Marvel these days. Right. Like, they see everything having something to like deeper and i see that in buffy so much i that my lens is i see how this relates in such a human way in such a complex way mm-hmm. and that's why it's so good yeah that's what it's just so deep yeah like yeah moments where buffy kicks the monster's ass is the person she falls in love with yes yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you think about Angel in the pilot? I yeah, I mean, I like Angel. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, he is such a dreamboat. First of all, <laughs> okay. Uh, um, David Boreanaz it David does Boreanaz, it for you. It does it for me. But it's yeah, it, and well, it's just like the whole concept of a dark, mysterious stranger. Sure. Um, I can say that. Okay. I'm a <laughs> do you feel like he acts in character in the pilot? Well, oh, that's another thing I was gonna say, especially since we've seen. Becoming uh, part one, how did he clean up so fast? Right. Because the the first time he sees Buffy, yeah, he is disgusting. Right. right. And then 
what is supposedly maybe only a couple months later, he's in like a velvet blazer. Right. Got this nice right. hairdo. Right. Because it was Whistler sort yeah. of finds him on the street and says, you're meant for a bigger purpose. Uh-huh. I guess, I don't know. I, I, we can imagine there. the we can imagine like the makeover montage with Whistler <laughs> <laughs> to Walking on Sunshine. Okay, let's do this. Right, absolutely. We'll you right. If we if we were to recast the show now, if we were to remake it in 2021, Whistler would be a the queer, queer I guess. Queer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I would love to see that. That would be so fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I would say I the reason I ask, I think and you, you say like we say with Darla, like there were you know, the character wasn't necessarily entirely formed and planned out at that point. We no. don't figure. Well, and I don't think they thought he was going to get a spinoff. I don't think they, right. I don't think they had planned for him to necessarily turn evil. I, mean, I think it might have been an inclination. Like, they were just like, that'd be pretty That'd be dope. That'd be dope. I mean, I, I wonder if they planned that as soon as they figured out the, like, the curse. Yeah. Because the curse sort of has that built into it. Um, well, but yeah, well, not, they didn't have it built into it. It's not like they, when the curse is introduced to the first season in their life, it's like, don't be happy, though. That um, isn't mentioned right away? No. Oh, okay. It's only mentioned after with, the fact. With, with Miss Calendar. The, yeah, and, her uncle. And her uncle. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's another thing of like, I I think they had intention of just like, why is this vampire good? Right. Because he got cursed with a soul. Right. And then you tell the story as you go. Exactly. So it's, it's well, and yeah, because it's, with any show, I think, especially because I think Joss had learned, like, things can get canceled. Right. So, you know, and his first movie, Buffy, didn't do very well. Have you seen the movie? Yes. Do you like the movie? Because <laughs> Sam hated the movie. <laughs> I only like the movie like I like Trolls too. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> <laughs> it is so bad it's good. Oh, okay. It's so... I barely think that they're in the same universe mm, okay um but it's it's dumb fun do you know who helped fund and produce the movie and the series no dolly parton love her we love her so uh, no, much. no choice but to stand <laughs> no choice no choice but to stand oh, and then you know oh. what else she helped fund the fucking moderna vaccine <laughs> buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> and the moderna vaccine could brought turn out to, to be but brought to you but could turn out to be two of the most consequential things in my life. Absolutely. The vaccine that protects me from the pandemic and my favorite TV show in the world from one of my favorite musical artists and just like a bright shining soul of a person. I love a Christian it. and an lifelong LGBTQ ally yeah, just like absolutely. a person feels just like laboratory like, made to be my favorite like, yeah, that's person like in the world. on the incredible music that she Oh, that she is one of the most prolific and acclaimed yeah, songwriters absolutely. in American history. Any song you hear of hers, it immediately gets stuck in your head. No. Just, uh, no, okay. no choice but to no stand. No choice. Dolly Parton. Oh. Shout out to Dolly Parton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's pivot also to my theme. And I do, I do want to pick your brain about. And yeah. sort of is relevant to the angel conversation. Mm. I brought up the vampire metaphor and sort of the Anne oh, Rice yeah. contribution to the vampire metaphor, the vampire as the, the sort of gothic, tortured soul who is othered by society, kind of the yeah. lonely one, the isolated one. Yes, yes. and the, yeah, the lonely one, it's funny that you mentioned that because like, that's straight up what uh, Lily calls it in Lie to Me. The lonely one. Right, yeah, right, 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 right. I thought you did. And, and, and Anne Rice gets a name drop in that too. Yeah, she does, yep. So it's, it's that, as far as that topic is concerned, I, I see how that is occasionally brought up 
I don't think it's consistent enough to seem intentional. You don't think Buffy is that indebted to the Anne Rice vampire? I think, well, as yeah, like, a, like as a a, a romantic figure. That's the thing. It's like because yes, they do because of everything that goes down with Angel. Right. Right. Yeah, and we in the pilot we talked about Angel as being comparable to Louie in yeah. Interview with the Vampire, the Brad Pitt character, uh-huh. tortured by the knowledge of his the like the curse of vampirism making him estranged from goodness in the yeah, world yeah. And, and Well and it's interesting because they say that because then it's like would that make Angelus Lestat? Like hmm. and then it's interesting if you consider that and think of that as this those two beings residing in the same mm-hmm. person. Yeah, that it is. It is definitely intriguing, but it's like one of those things where I don't think it was intentional. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't because it's just maybe it is intentional for that specific character. I right. wouldn't say for vampires overall, right? Because there are very few vampires on that show that portray any kind of humanity. There are, I mean, Spike. See, I would say I think Spike is the Lestat character to mm-hmm. Angels Louie. And I couldn't say that in the pilot because we hadn't met Spike yet. Yeah, Spike, distant dream. <laughs> right, right. But I, I think those two are uh, analog for Louis and Lestat. But what you're saying is like, I don't. It doesn't have to be intentional for the resonance to exist. That's true. Like it could be influenced even subliminally or subconsciously, or just like because they're part of the same, you know, sort of like narrative pool, like vampire lore is always influenced by the yeah, broader vampire. You say vampire. the word vampire, you can't look, you can't, it's, everything's gotta come up. Twilight's gotta come up. Anne Rice, Anne Buffy, Rice, Buffy, Dracula. Yeah, It's all gotta be a part of it. So, yeah, in that, in that sense, it is almost impossible not to consider that. It's, mm-hmm. so, I, yeah. Yeah. I would say, definitely when I first heard that podcast, I would, like, think back and be like, okay. Well, and I... Had only seen Interview with an amp- Vampire because of Marley. <laughs> oh, yeah. My, that's um, one of my sisters. I mentioned it in the, in in the, the podcast. Yeah. It's one of my sister's favorite movies. Yeah, it wasn't one of those things I had known much about. But to kind of... I guess it's like to think of vampires as like the minority or like the outcast. Right. It does tend to try and see them in a more uh, positive light. Which I think Buffy was trying to, for the most part, stay away from. Like, they, right. Yeah. Outside of a couple isolated Outs- examples. Yeah. yeah. Isolated incidents. It's that thing they say in Lie to Me. Like, or what do they say about Jesse? Like, you're not looking at your friend. You're looking at the thing that killed him. Right. And it's like, so they're, they can play around with that idea. And they definitely do with Angel. And they definitely do with Spike. And right. he helps Buffy in the end. Like, right. At the, the end, end of season two. Yeah. So it's... It's not like that's not the case. It's not like they're not saying that there is humanity in these creatures. Mm-hmm. But to say that they have a plight that is similar to minorities is, I feel like, a little off the mark. It, it, it's a metaphor that doesn't function that way in Buffy as a text. Yes. Like, it has served that purpose and in I other texts. And see that in Anne Rice, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But that's mostly not the metaphor we're going with in Buffy. Yeah, I think, I think it's, yeah, more like... Like, abusive relationships, almost. Mm-hmm. Or, it, like, yeah, it's more about... It is, like, that more romanticized. Not necessarily, like... I don't think it's about social minorities. I think it's more... It is that more, like, romantic type, type of relationship. So it's, sure. like... Especially in season two, like, everything that's going on with Buffy is very, like, the arc of a girl who's young and having her first 
relationship and then he changes and it turns right. bad. Right. So it's like, it's that romantic kind of right. parallel. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily like a social minority kind of parallel. I think you, yeah, yeah. Which is, again, what Anne Rice also was hinting at, mm-hmm. um, is that it's very, the gothic romance of vampirism is just, again, part of the new literature, part of the new narrative. Right. The new vampire canon. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, what I hear you saying is, like, Joss Whedon was drawing more from the romance of vampires than from the metaphor of the vampire as the outsider yes. or the social minority. Okay, yeah, yeah. no, I, I think you're absolutely right. I also wanted to mention while we're on this topic and before we move to the next episode, I quoted Anne Rice as describing her, you know, her 20s as Christ haunted, which she does in this interview with uh, this YouTube channel, I Am Second. And yeah, she uses that phrase. What I just didn't recognize at the time because I didn't know at the time is she was borrowing a phrase from Flannery O'Connor who described the American South as Christ haunted. It's like, it's not Christ centered, it's Christ haunted, which I think you could say of America in general is like we have sort of Christian roots, but that have become so perverse and Americanized that they're less Christian than they are Christ haunted. Like we, we have sort of the vague memory of once having been you know ostensibly christian although even then we were you know we had people in slavery and women couldn't vote we weren't a christian society but i think she was drawing attention to sort of this like freakish consequence of being a society that once claimed to be christian but it has now been so watered down by nationalism and shifting cultures that we are sort of like we're a culture haunted by the vague memory of christ more than the actual knowledge of christ which became really poignant to me thinking about like the way american christians have responded to the pandemic for example mm, it's like yeah. how did how did what does that have to do with it well, how, why is that part of it why is wearing <laughs> a mask against god in what where in the bible right. are you picking this up right we, we we've come to have such a twisted version of what christianity is that it's it's freakish which which is what yeah. which is what flannery o'connor describes in her like southern gothic literature so i just wanted to you know we we learn we live we learn we grow as we age and i just i was attributing to Anne rice what ultimately was uh insight from flannery o'connor so i just wanted to name that yeah yeah so finally how would you grade you 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 kind of already mentioned do you grade welcome to the hellmouth and the harvest as one episode yes and they are a b they are a b yes and so you're on the same page with us about yes, the right. overall quality, I, more or less. I think I the way I did it, because I don't... Have you guys given anything an F? I, I don't like think we haven't. have. No. I gave some Fs. No, well, <laughs> Sam gave Go Fish an F. Fair. Did I? <laughs> did I? Hold on. And I need to make a spreadsheet. I, I gave Go Fish an F as well. <laughs> I need to make a spreadsheet of this. I think I gave it a D minus. I didn't give it a good grade. Yeah, I. We, you looked at my tops. I didn't look at my bottoms. <laughs> What's the? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not overthink that. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, well, yeah, what are what are your bottom few episodes? Um. Okay. So this is a another one. I I listened to this podcast during my re re listen because I it is my least favorite episode of all time. It's killed by death. <laughs> Killed by Death is your least favorite Buffy I episode. I hate that episode so much. Der Kindestad. You, you do, you do not stand. It's disgusting. Right. Der Kindestad is disgusting. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Not a fan. Absolutely not. No, no, no. But I also, I thought the plot they were trying to portray with the whole cousin thing, it just felt flat. 
So this basically, cousin who's never mentioned. Yeah, this it's just like I'm supposed to care for this cousin that we've never met before, and I'm supposed to think that like this whole like it just felt like that it was foundational to Buffy's character. Yeah, and, it's yeah. like, and it's truly one of those episodes where you take it out because I do I skip it sometimes. Sure, you take it out, nothing changes. Right. So it's yeah, that's number one worst one. It's funny. I'm going to be asking some of this later, actually, with the lightning round. Okay. So can we move on to yeah, which? Um, Do you have anything on which? Why is the driver's ed teacher so rude? <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> the driver's ed teacher to Cordelia, he was straight up just like, can we get this started? And right. And just like, let's go. And I was right. really like, I'm just like, she's a teenager. Come on, Right. Down. Well, the way Buffy, you know, I, when I started this podcast, I didn't work at a high school. And that has certainly shaped how I watch the show now to a degree. Yeah. And Buffy doesn't always have the highest <laughs> regard for adults who work with children. Except for that one guy in the next episode. Teacher's right, pet. Right, 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 right. Teacher's we pet. Stan that dead professor. What was his name? Mr. Uh, if we were playing like Buffy trivia, this would be a good question. I know. And I just listened to <laughs> Teacher's Pet. Yeah. I watched it. You don't remember? I don't. Well, I, I well, do. Well, it's like it was... Uh, one of the podcasts it was like name a bunch of Buffy students and I'm like they named so many students in the first season but now I'm like can I name any of them no <laughs> I don't know I don't know if I could so which we have what's funny is in the podcast episode Sam and I start the conversation talking about Trump having just been elected <laughs> and yeah. so because when we recorded our first episode our first couple episodes he hadn't been elected yeah, and um, you were pretty sure he wasn't, because we all were pretty sure he wasn't. I actually, I sort of had this sneaking suspicion for, like, a year leading up to the 2016 election. Just this, like, low-grade anxiety. I'm like, oh, God. Mm. This is sort of creeping inevitability. I sort of knew. And and my friends were like, yeah, calm down. That's not going to happen. And and But then <laughs> ahead of the 2020 election, I didn't have that same sense of dread. Okay. And then he turned out not to be elected. Sorry. So I guess I should... I was going to say, do you think you can predict elections <laughs> we'll see we'll see with the next one yeah. but uh yeah that i think it's really interesting that this show has more or less been essentially only existed in trump's america and we often wound up commenting on the state of um, american politics under donald trump it's I'm, I'm curious to see what shape our podcast is going to take in <laughs> biden's america yeah. i'll just say for the record like biden's not a perfect president and i, I wouldn't say i stan yeah. necessarily but i I'm very grateful. Well, and there's a, it's a weird thing. I feel like this pandemic hasn't made it anybody's America. It's made it the pandemic's America. Right. We don't know what things are the actually going to look like. The administration is just trying, like, both, both sides are just like, what, what do we, what do we right. do? Right. We don't know what we're doing, although I will say the vaccine rollout and the yes. pandemic response has been so much more competent under Biden. It's staggering. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, God. Uh, so I also, I, I want to say another mea culpa for the... The witch episode. It is just called Witch, not yeah. The Witch, which Sam checked me on when we recorded. Ooh, yeah. um, there's a moment in it when I say that the script was so good, I figured that Joss Whedon might have had a part in it. Um, I'm just going to say I, that take didn't age well, not just because Joss Whedon turned out to be a problematic character, but I just don't like the look of attributing the quality of a work to a man rather than the woman who's credited with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cause Dana Reston is credited with this script. And I think what I was thinking at the time is this is the only Buffy script she ever wrote. Yeah. And it is such a weirdly good and well-written episode for the fact that there was so f such little content to draw from to yeah. establish Buffy's tone and voice. 
I, I just think there's a really solid well, season that, one episode. That was something I think we all used to do. We all, every Buffy fan would right. always be like, was oh, this one secretly Joss must have been helping because right. he was such a, like all of the good episodes, all of the like top episodes were written and directed by Joss. So we all kind of had that mindset. Mm-hmm. But then it is kind of this nice freeing thing in the sense of like, oh, there are more people on this and right. they also contributed really well. Right. Um, Which, yeah, I think is certainly part of the conversation we've had over the last couple of years is, how much the show is shaped by the voice of like Marty Knoxon or yeah, Jane Espenson, David Greenwald, yeah. or even just like, yeah, not even just other women, other people. Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't a one man show, and there are periods later in Buffy's run where Joss was less hands on. Yeah, he was barely even there. Right, mm-hmm. but that still have really high points and really meaningful stretches. Yeah. Um. So, other thoughts about which? Oh yeah, very lucky that they're dissecting frogs on half the classroom and then the other half is dealing with chemicals which is the two things they needed for that revealing spell right very lucky very convenient very Very convenient (laughs) could call it tight writing could call it laziness (laughs) (laughs) yeah so while while we're talking about how great the script is also right there there are some cut corners there's some shortcuts yeah but yeah in general i do think it was a very interesting that that was a big thing of i think a good example of the first season just it was thinly veiled about how the pressures of being a teenage girl and wanting to be a cheerleader right. and isn't all it's choked up to be. Right. So it's it's got it, every episode kind of has that kind of like not not so subtle theme. Of, right. Oh look. It's the work life balance thing. It's being a student and being a superhero thing, which is why we all, we tend to say that. Buffy's sort of a hero in the Spider-Man mold because it's about balancing being a young person and the obligations and joys of being a teenager plus the responsibility of being a superhero. Well, and I I think what I'm coming from it is the more like the like what it is to be a young woman, Mm -hmm. like the idea that she wants, she has this bigger calling, this bigger purpose. Yes. But in this episode, it's mostly about how, she wants to, like, and Amy. Amy wants to, I guess Amy's mom, right. <laughs> wants to be young again. She wants to be perfect and do everything. It's That's a big theme every woman has to deal with. And it's, it goes back to that thing. Having it all, yeah. Of how this show has always been slightly feminist. Right, right. <laughs> to some degree or another because that is a big thing young women deal with is wanting to be thin, wanting to be cheerleader, wanting to be popular. Mm-hmm. And it's it's something that, like, is not often, like... Now, it's when it's dealt with in media, it is so blatantly obvious. And I think that's something I will say about modern media, too, is that, like, we're getting so feminist that it's starting to lose its subtlety. And in Buffy, that was the thing. It was, like, this was a really good example of it being fairly subtle, that, right. like, Buffy wants to be everything wants to have it all she wants to be pretty and popular but also have her nerdy friends all nerds right (laughs) um she wants to have the scooby gang and she wants to be uh cheerleader so it's it's there's that young adult pressure of i'm a woman so i must be able to do everything and so yeah so i think it was a good example of how and that's like like i said the thing of every episode kind of does that i mean teacher's pet it's like let if we move on Mm -hmm. Their, its theme is very, like, it's not one of the best topics, but, yeah, this is, like, it's it's a really, like, stark contrast between the two episodes, because this one shows how women are pressured, 
this show, one shows how women are objectified. Right. And arguably how yeah. men are pressured. And how men are pressured, yeah. Mm-hmm. To and, be virile, to be sexually dominant. and Yeah, yeah. and like, like, oh, it's like so silly that Xander is a virgin at 16. Right. And it's like, it's fairly reasonable. Right. They're all, yeah, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. I don't think, like, especially in media, we should be sexualizing them that young. Right. The, the, that's... I would say a difference in storytelling now versus then. Yes. Although I still think there are examples of, of sexualizing well, teenage mean, even, characters. It still happens in, like, I mean, Pretty Little Liars. Right, it didn't right. happen that long ago. There was a student-teacher relationship. I mean... There's a show on Hulu right now. Oh, the teacher. The teacher. Oh, yeah, yeah, the teacher. Uh, and I think it's tricky. Not student-teacher one... relationships, unambiguously bad. But what I would say is tricky about it is how to tell stories about teenage sexuality without sexualizing teenagers. Yeah. Because sexuality is a part of the teenage experience for most young people. Not me, but... Not us. <laughs> Not us. <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, these are usually actors in their mid to late 20s playing know, teenagers. So it's less an issue of that so much as, like, these characters are framed as children in sexual situations. Yeah. So that's just a tension, I think of telling stories about teenagers that I don't know if society we've totally found a healthy balance with yet. Well, and it's like, it's that thing of, I get that the first season was trying to be like, look at this topic, look at this, this, this topic we're handling in this supernatural setting. And it's just like, should you be though? Right. Should you be handling that topic? (laughs) And I'm glad you're bringing it up because that was really clear in teacher's pet Mm -hmm. is Buffy will often handle a really serious subject sort of flippantly in the name of these monster of the week metaphors. Uh And it's like, if they're supposed to be metaphor, we should treat them more seriously. Right. Right. And I think there are episodes that do that better. Mm -hmm. Like, and this is kind of a hot take. I think Ted does that relatively well. Yes, it does. Is handling like domestic abuse. Yeah. And abusive parental roles, roles, abusive step parents. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll get, well, I guess we won't get to that episode specifically. (laughs) Uh, But I do want to kind of rush through Never Kill a Boy in the Pack. Do you have any Um, insights about Never Kill a Boy in the First Date? We have Owen, we have Emily Dickinson, we have the Anointed One. Owen's trash. Um. Owen's trash, we can agree. (laughs) Oh, Giles been a washer since he was 10. That's something I think never really occurred to me, I guess, throughout my Mm rewatches, is that Giles was also chosen. Like, he mm, like, ooh, didn't get a choice either. That's really interesting. We don't, yeah, no one really talks about that much. And that, that is something I did pull from that. He said, I became a watcher when I was 10 years old. My father, you know, he had pressured to be this person. Right. And he had no idea what it was going to be. And he didn't even necessarily know if it, if it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. He just trained his whole life. He dedicated his whole life to this. And so I can, it's definitely an interesting thing to keep in mind mm-hmm. going forward that, like, he didn't have a choice either. Right. And I think he can relate to Buffy in that way, in a, in a big way of like, I understand that you were also like, mm-hmm. that you didn't ask for this either. Like, yeah. and I, I think that is, it helps to understand like why he can become more lenient. Real quick. The pack. Um, the pack. <sighs> Sexism. Sexism. <laughs> Bold and underlined. <laughs> The way Xander treats, he almost ate a child as well. <laughs> sure. Okay, but here, real quick, we do have to have this conversation because yeah. I remember the pack was one of the first examples of you reacting to me about content we covered on the episode. Mm. And it was about the choice to have Xander almost sexually assault Buffy. Yeah. And whether that was something 
that was disempowering on the part of the show creators? Like, was that disempowering Buffy as a character to put her in that position? Or was it making a point about how even powerful women can be victims to sexual violence? Yeah. What's your insights about that? It's important, I think, yeah, like that even Buffy can't be this godlike figure who nothing ever happens to. And Mm -hmm. I mean... It does come up later in the series that, like, she has moments of weakness. Right. And that is another reason why it's a great show, because then she's human. She's right. still, rela- she's more relatable in that sense. Right. It's, it is understandable that women get put in that situation all the time. Right. Like, by friends. By, by friends, people by they trust. They trust. Mm-hmm. And it's not unrealistic for that to have happened. Like, the, it's not subtle that it's a metaphor for young boys can lose control and be animals. Right, right. Which, in the text of the show, Giles tries to minimize it by saying, oh, he's a 16-year-old boy. Which is disappointing. It's disappointing, (laughs) and I think we would come to expect better from Giles, although he has moments like that. He he had a kind of similar moment in Go Fish. Yeah. Where he was minimizing Buffy having been sexually assaulted, and that's not ideal, but... Well, and it's nice to see, like, I mean, in... In that episode, like, she doesn't take it. Like, right. she, she she learns, she has to have moments like this to learn and be like, oh, I don't need to take this. I'm the right. slayer. Right. Which I think it's, it's important that it, it's not bad that this happened so quickly in the series because she's only been the slayer for a little bit. And she's young she and under, she's learning. She doesn't understand what her power is. She doesn't understand necessarily what she can do. And it's like, she still does hit him with a death. Right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. You, but she, she, yeah, it was more about, it was somebody she trusted, so she didn't fight back right away because she didn't think Xander would ever go there, but he was going there, and it's, it, yeah, it's a good, it's an important narrative because that happens all the time. Right. And so it's, and not so, I don't think it was, again, well, first season's not so, and I think they should, could have done it better had that, that kind of episode happened later. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, in... We, Xander does get another chance in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. Buffy comes on to him, and he he rejects her. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, based on where the episode is, it's not awesome. Right. That scene's not great. Right. And the threat of sexual violence against female characters is used pretty often and very cavalierly by Hollywood writers. Yes. It's a way of raising stakes by subjecting your female characters to the threat of sexual violence, which is a really problematic trope because it it fails to account for how legitimately traumatic that is mm-hmm. and is a bit, like I said, cavalier or flippant with a very serious subject just for the sake of making something feel dark and gritty or very serious yeah, or even played as a joke sometimes, unfortunately. Yes. So. so yeah, so it's, it's, it's again... A little bit more complex than just that scene was in there wrongly, but I th- yeah, it's I think it is still important that Buffy is not seen as somebody who can't be touched or hurt, right? Because she is still supposed to be an icon for all women, and right. it's in the big old right. As problematic picture. as that expectation is, that is. Something that's sort of been true about the character yeah. in it, in its fandom mm-hmm. uh, and was a part of the intention of the creators. Yeah. But yeah, she has to have vulnerability. Yeah. I think is 
That's yeah. the general. Yeah, that was my general take on it. It was just like it's, it's a humanizing scene for Buffy to understand that she, can, when she does realize that she she has the power to stop it. Right. So. Okay. So, rapid fire. I think we have dinner that's almost arrived, yeah. or it might be at the doorstep now. Uh, <laughs> so, how would you grade which? Um. Give it a D. But I don't witch? Think that's right. <laughs> you gotta rewatch Witch. Oh, I think it's very good. Okay. I rewatch I Witch, get back yeah. to me. But cause Sam and I both gave it a B plus. How would <laughs> how uh how would you rate well, Teacher's Pet? Like I was saying, I think that's like another thing of like I put I did my list, I did the whole series and then gave everything like one through ten like ten got A pluses, one through like ten through So you're grading on a curve. I'm grading on a curve. Of, so of like there are a certain number of A's, a certain number of B's, a certain number of C's. Exactly. So that's what happened there is mm-hmm. that it is lower on the list as because the first season in general is pretty low on the list. That's fair, but I would watch it again. I think overall it's better than the pilot, which I guess is would be where our disagreement is. Yeah. Well you would have to think so because it's two whole letter grades <laughs> lower on your list. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's number 133. <laughs> wow. So that's like bottom 10. Okay. So maybe not the biggest fan of which. Watch it again. Get back to me. I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. It might just be that it spe- doesn't speak to us in the same way. Yeah. Um, how would you grade Teacher's Pet? F. Okay. I was going to say, if you graded this higher than which, I would be. No, absolutely I would not. be F. 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 Okay. Um, that's the thing. So Rapid Fire, Never Kill Boy, D, D Pack, D, Angel B plus. Oh wait, we know we'll we'll, we'll we're, we're we're yeah, we'll, but we're saving okay. the second half of season one for our next conversation. Okay, so yeah, we got to the pack. Okay. So we got to the pack. We're we're there. I want to do a quick, rapid fire lightning round. Sunny Dale superlatives, and then I would say let's actually wrap up this conversation. Save the game for next time. Sure. I want to hear your favorite and least favorite season. Favorite season is two. Least favorite is one. Okay. I think one is also my least favorite. Yeah, and two is uh, two, so two is I think Sam's favorite. I, talk, I talked about this with my mom, and it's because every other season has really really good episodes. Episodes better than a lot of the season uh, season two episodes, but the season two has on average more consistency, like more consistently good episodes. Like, okay, every, they have like three part twos, and every single one of them are great. Right, it's got you know, lie to me. I only have eyes for you. Passion. Becoming the highs are very the high. The highs are very high. With season and it's two, I agree. All is from the beginning of the season when she was bad to the end becoming like it's just all around. It works as a it whole. It works as a whole, mm-hmm. and I think that there are some later seasons that fail to do that. I would agree generally. Uh, favorite and least favorite character. Favorite character Faith. Least favorite character is Dawn. Oh wow! <laughs> we're not. This is a somewhat it. spoilery section, but we we're not going to get into that yet. And, and we we'll have you on for a season five episode, and and I, and I may go to bat with you for that one. <laughs> I know we may, vaguely talked about this once before um, that you like Don more than I do. Well, it sounds like I must because she's your least favorite character. <laughs> Absolutely least favorite. Okay, F- favorite and least favorite episode. Uh, you fav- mentioned that restless. Favorite is restless. Least favorite killed by death. <laughs> right, and you you already talked about yeah. both of them. Favorite and least favorite big bad. Favorite is the mayor. Least favorite trio okay i think that's fair if we're talking like season long yeah season long uh big bads yeah. okay so let's wrap up this conversation with some pop culture plugs Can I also 
specifically Warren. The other two are pretty good. Sure, 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 sure. No, that's, yeah, okay. That's valid. That's valid. Okay, so let's wrap up with some pop culture plugs because we have food that's here. Yes. Um, and I'm very hungry. So, yeah. Uh, if I you do, could yeah. go first, just a couple pop uh, culture plugs. Yeah, my pop culture plug, I two, I guess. I have really been listening to Phoebe Bridgers. I think Fantastic. you mentioned her recently. I also need, I forgot the name of it. You said on a podcast, and I can't remember which one, that there's an artist that's like Phoebe Bridgers and Reliant K. Yes. Oh, yes. Last week, it was uh, Semler is the artist, S-E-M-L-E-R. Okay. Their name is Grace Semler Baldridge. And the... Because EP is... is called Preacher's Kid, and it speaks to a lot of what you described about religious baggage. Because the thing about it is that Phoebe Bridgers and Reliant K, that's a big part of my musical interest. Like, those that cover a big base of it. Right. Reliant, well, that's like back in the day, Reliant yeah. K all the way. Absolutely. Is that all the way? <laughs> Reliant K all the way. So, Phoebe Bridgers. And uh, Dimension 20. It is... A D&D podcast slash YouTube channel. It has been so, so good. I am getting really into D&D lately. I've finally gotten... I have for years, years, been trying to get somebody to like DM a session for me. I've wanted to play this for so, so long. I'm finally in a party. Finally in a campaign. So thankful. Shout out to Justin for making that happen. Shout um, out to Justin. Sister-in-law's sister's husband. Okay, let's let's leave on that note. I'll share my pop culture plugs next week because the food is here. But this is just part one of a conversation. And so we will talk to you again in a week. Woo! Bye.